The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 54. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we've come back around to talking about Star Trek Discovery. We haven't talked about that in a long time since the end yeah. of the, the second season where we were going week by week. Uh, and so we are actually going back to talk about the first season. We've talked about the first season in an aggregate fashion. We talked about it as, as, a, as one big thing, or actually in two, <laughs> two parts of a discussion, but we haven't done it episode by episode. So we've done episodes on the first two for the first season, which was sort of the pilot, the two-part pilot. Right. And this is the first uh, uh, Discovery, USS Discovery episode we have here. Right. And this is called Context is for Kings. So as you heard, joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And uh, Father Corey is, uh, as as we've said in uh, <laughs> at other times, he's, he's on assignment. Uh, he's, yeah. he's taking the day which off. Which is literally... It's not that's Miss Carey is literally on assignment. His <laughs> bishop has assigned him to go do a retreat with the other priests of the diocese. That's true. It is assignment. Not just not for me. I haven't given him an assignment. Uh so very nice to to give him that time off. So uh folks, remember to like the Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Starquest Media and to retweet the show on Twitter where we're at SQPN and uh leave comments there and send us some feedback using social media. Uh, we love to have conversations with you. We have great fans, uh, great listeners who, who listen to the show and then will uh, send us some tweets and sometimes links to interesting things that they've seen, YouTube videos and stuff like that. Um, one of our uh, uh, Twitter listeners uh, sent us a link to uh, a new Star Trek.com video that has every instance of Make It So from the next generation. Oh. So a lot of fun. Mm. That was a lot of fun. So, someone made it so. Someone did. <laughs> so, but as I said, today we're talking about the third episode of the first season of Star Trek Discovery, which aired, or aired is sort of a misnomer. This was the ace streaming, but it was released uh, the first week of October in 2017, which as we record this, this is August of 2019. It's funny to think about. It. It's been two years since that, mm -hmm. uh, that came out. Um, it's been a long time. And uh, this is the first episode after the battle of binary stars. And it's, takes place six months after the start of the Klingon War. Yeah, we and, know that because the words six months later appear on the screen. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so there's no mistaking that. And we we see Michael Burnham has been court-martialed and sentenced to life in prison. And so that's the end of Star Trek Discovery. And we're moving. No, no, of course not. Yeah. Something else is going to happen. Uh, She's so on a prison shuttle being transferred from one prison place to another prison place. Well, to forced labor camp. I mean, mm -hmm. the... the Federation seems to be a bit harsh here. Uh, it's yeah. a forced labor camp with terrible conditions. They, they talk about how a bunch of the uh, former prisoners were, were killed 
in an industrial accident in the in this plant. The, yeah, they're going to be dilithium miners. Mm. And since dilithium is, you know, channels energy, maybe they have a lot of industrial accidents. Yeah, something about a piezoelectric charge. Um, mm-hmm. oh, maybe Harry Mudd will come and bring them wives. But uh, that's, that's another episode. So uh, meanwhile, they're in the shuttle and there's this bug infestation, space bug infestation on the outside of the shuttle that has to be cleared off. So, yeah. so the pilot gets up and goes outside the shuttle while it's in warp? Like, yeah. what? Well, I know. That's a little... You might want to drop out of warp first. <laughs> Pull over. Um, <laughs> yeah. So these are some kind of electro bug that feeds off of electrical power, and they're going to suck the ship dry if they don't deal with the infestation. And then they can either um, freeze to death or run out of oxygen, whichever comes first. Right. So the, pi- the pilot gets out to go deal with that, leaving four prisoners including Michael Burnham inside strapped, you know, in a way they can't move. Really. Right. They're like tied to pegs or something. But like going outside, it's like, it's like you're going 70 miles an hour down the freeway and you need to clear the bugs off the windshield. So you climb, you don't yeah. pull over, you climb out the window, <laughs> you're on cruise control. You know, I know you stop, you know, yeah. because what happens? The worst that happens, the pilot gets knocked off the tether and goes floating off into space. To die, yeah, apparently. And, and and despite the fact they're at warp, she like goes floating forward, not just blown off the back of the shuttle. <laughs> yes. Maybe inside the warp bubble there's no sense of velocity. Uh anyway. And, and and despite the fact they rescue Discovery swoops in and rescues the shuttle. But right. nobody seems to care about the pilot. So no. she's just gone. Uh, well, it makes me wonder, is this a coincidence? Uh, does this Well, we're gonna learn it's not. Yeah. But yeah. It and something engineered by Lorca, maybe? Yeah. So the interesting thing is that in this whole thing, oh, we're going to die here. The 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 autopilot is broken. The pilot is gone, and Burnham just seems completely unconcerned that they are about to die. Yeah, I have that in in my notes that she's just sitting there. The other prisoners are freaking out, and she's yeah. just sitting there relaxed. And partly it's her Vulcan upbringing, but partly I think she's. I have in my notes she's just indifferent to her own death. She blames herself because the other prisoners were talking about how like just on one ship. More than eight thousand people died in the Klingon War just on this one ship. Was it just and one ship? I think well, it was everyone was at the battle. I, I thought it was eight thousand okay. at the battle. But this, okay, well, that, the that other prisoner's a- cousin died on one ship. Yeah, okay, yeah. and and it's like eight thousand people. Yeah, that does sound big for a ship in this era. Yeah. Um, but uh, Burnham knows the exact number of people who died at right. this, and so it's clearly weighing on her. And um, and I think she's I think she's got a death wish at right. this point because she's like, that would actually end my suffering. Well, yeah, she feels like she needs to pay for her her crime. Or, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they, they they get pulled onto discovery where the chief of security, uh, who is a classic red shirt. Her name is Landry. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't bother Com- getting to know her because she's not going to be around long. Yeah, she's still here at the end of this episode. She is, but, she is, but yeah. Uh, yeah, she's she's gone soon. No, um, we're gonna have Ash Tyler later in the season. That's right. Uh, and so she she uh, meets them at the shuttle, uh, and we get this a lot of dialogue. Oh, meet Starfleet's first mutineer ever. Oh, is that come plausible? On guys. <laughs> Didn't you learn from the original series where you allegedly had the first mutiny ever on a Starfleet ship in the first series? It's <laughs> right. like, no, this is hundreds of years in the future. There are going to be other opportunities for mutiny. 
Right. Burnham is not going to be the first. Yes, that's not plausible. It's it's classic. We have to overdo it syndrome that yeah. that writers of all kinds of series do is we have to be. It's got to be the biggest, the best, the worst, the hardest, whatever. Yeah. But we have to over oversell it. Um, yep. So they notice, okay, a that there are tons of science people as they walk through the quarters. There are tons of science people on board, uh, but they also notice that there's a bunch of security people wearing black badges, which is Section Thirty One, isn't it? Section Thirty One, yeah, yeah. Although they kind of drop that because they don't later explain those people as Section Thirty One. Right. It's they just they notice. Have you ever seen a black badge before? And no, and that's it. We never hear it about it again. So that's I thought that was interesting. Um, so they, then they bring the prisoners to the mess hall. Why are, why are you giving them the run of the ship? Essentially put, feed them in the brig. Because it's Starfleet. (laughs) Um, you put them in the lockup, you bring them, but like other Star Trek series have figured this out. You put them inside the cell, you bring them a tray of food. Even the paradisical next generation had holding cells. Yeah. Well, and they do talk about there's, that there is a brig that they put the other uh, prisoners Mm in, but, um, Mm -hmm. Then, you know, there, there's a fight between some of the prisoners in Burnham, and she handily yeah. uses Krav Maga, or the Vulcan equivalent, on them. Yeah. Also, she gets to uncomfortably see Kayla Detmer, who yep. was injured at the Battle of the of the Two Roads that Intersect Each Other. I mean, the Binary <laughs> Stars. And, the Battle um, of the Crossroads. <laughs> yeah. And she also gets to see uh, uncomfortably Saru. Yes. There's a there's a, a uncomfortable moment. Uh, and she'll she'll have a longer conversation with Saru later. Uh, Saru turns out to be the uh, the first officer on this ship now, and yeah, uh, first officer Saru, first, yeah. which is fascinating. He uses a job title instead of a rank. Right, right. He's not Commander Saru here. He's first officer Saru, uh, which later on they will then just call him Commander Saru, which is kind of funny. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, like the writers are figuring out how how ranks work. Um, but she gets called to the captain's office to the ready room where she meets Lorca. Um, he has. He's putting in some visine. Yeah, he has uh, an eye injury, which we'll find out later is related to him being from the. Do we want to spoil Lorca's big secret in in all the way through this, or do we want to talk around it? I kind of think it's interesting to look at these things in light of what we know. Yeah, I I agree, but I I we could simply say things like um you know. With for people who haven't seen this, I suppose because it is only two years old. That's true. Um, <clears throat> we we can say okay, so there is more to Lorca, and they hint at it in here, and it's really interesting to know what is ultimately going to happen with Lorca and how that informs his scenes with Michael here, right? Because Michael is suspicious; she thinks she's been brought here. Um, she tells Lorca. Uh, I mean, she's immediately suspicious of why am I even on this ship? Right. She says, I didn't receive notice of prison t- transfer, which is standard. And I, my, the shuttle changed course halfway here, which it shouldn't have. And right. then the shuttle ends up being destroyed. She's accusing Lorca of engineering this. Right. And, and later and on, she'll we, accuse him of wanting to use her to create, to, to create a, a device in violation of war crimes laws. Yeah, and so she's already suspecting something about Lorca, and there is significance to, like, why he's using the eye drops. I mean, he tells her it's because of an eye injury, but later we're going to find out it's something else. And he, and if you watch his reactions to her 
from the perspective of what we later know, it's clear that there's more going on here than than what right. uh, what you would at first think. And more more to the reasons why he specifically wants her uh, yeah. on his ship. Uh, so he he happens to have a tribble on his desk, uh, by yep. the way, um, which will tribbles, by the way, will be the subject of a short trek coming up, the second season of short trek. There's, mm-hmm. there's going to be a, a, an episode called uh, The Trouble with Edward, I think it is. Um, mm-hmm. And then he has a bowl of fortune cookies on his desk, which is just this weird affectation. Mm-hmm. Like, who eats fortune cookies as a snack? <laughs> like, Yeah, it's <laughs> like, who has a beagle on a starship? It's, I, we Captains need their weird affectations. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Tea, Earl Grey, hot. Yeah, I mean, his affectation is fortune cookies. Sort of a, Sorry and brandy. Yeah. All right, all right, I'll buy it. So, um, baseball. So when Burnham tries to refuse, you know, to participate in whatever it is Lorca's get going on, he won't hear of it. He he basically says, "I don't care what your preferences are. You're a prisoner. You're on board my ship, and I'll use you for whatever purposes I deem fit, as long as you're on my ship." Uh, I I like the way he does that, um, because he now there is more to him, but as we're meeting him for the first time, he comes across as a captain who is determined to win this war. Right. And he will do whatever it takes to win this war with the Klingons. And so, yeah, I totally don't care if you're interested or not. You're doing this. Right. You are a resource, just like she was about to go to a dilithium mine to be used as a resource. You know, we're at war. We need, we're going to use all the resources we have. Um, I, by the way, Lorca has the the uh, the uh, actor, um, something Isaac, I forget what his, his real name mm-hmm. is, has a kind of a southern accent here. Now, I think he's British yes. originally, but he's mm. got this subtle... Irish accent going on, which I, uh, Southern Irish. accent going, Southern accent, yeah. I meant to say. Uh, I, I think Lorca as a character is meant to be from Texas, and okay. he's doing a pretty good subtle Texas accent. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I think it, it fits. It, 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 it kind of gives him this, uh, sh- the, the, the shady sheriff sort of, not shady, but the, the, the mm-hmm. sheriff will do what it takes to get things done on the frontier sort of yeah. vibe, which I like. I like. I like Lorca. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got his his gray areas going through this yeah. season, but I I I like him as a character in this in this uh, series. So um, I like the accent too. Um, it's interesting. So then they put uh, Michael in regular quarters instead of in the brig, even though they that right now we think she's only going to be there for forty eight hours or whatever. Um, it's interesting they put her in with Tilly. Tilly, everybody's <laughs> so- favorite. So um, fun to see her. I love what she says when she comes in to the room. I mean, we have this great, awkward Tilly dialogue where she's talking about, because of my special needs, they said I couldn't have a roommate. And now here I've got a roommate. It's so great. And I'm debating to tell you whether you're on my bed. And it's and and it's like, well, the beds are all the same. Well, no, they're not because of my bed allergies. I have to, I'm allergic to polyester and I have to have this special bedding and that's why I couldn't have a roommate. And I'm going, no, that's what they, that's why they told you, you couldn't have a roommate. <laughs> you could put your special bedding in any cabin right. and it would be fine. <laughs> you don't have a roommate because you talk to, <laughs> you have other special needs. Yeah. I, I love Tilly. Everybody loves Tilly. Um, yeah. She ha- she needs viscoelastic polyurethane. She's allergic to viscoelastic polyurethane foam, which is presumably what the bedding is, mattresses are made from. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. So she, at this point, she's still a cadet. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, nervously, she nervously discovers 
who Michael is while Michael Michael suddenly stares at the ceiling. Uh, that yeah. <laughs> th- that whole scene is everything we love about Tilly, where she's like, "Well, yeah. it's not like you're, you're like, oh, your name is Michael. I've never met a girl who's a Michael before. Well, there's only the the, the mute near Michael, but you're not her, of course, right?" And of yeah. course, like, oh, ouch, <laughs> we just stepped yeah. into it. But you know, you I, love her for it. Yeah. Also, Michael is a female name is not that. I mean, I okay, sure. I guess it it, it hasn't always been common in recent history. It wasn't when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, and I guess we can headcanon that it's not in this decade of the 23rd century, but actually right now in the 2010s, I know lots of teenage girls and young women named Michael. Yeah. They tend to spell it a little bit differently, but it's the name Michael. Well, the, the first Michael I was ever, ever aware of was Michael Leonard, the actress who was mm-hmm. the mom on the Waltons. Oh, okay. So a lot of people would know that. And I also knew a Michael, um, Michael Ann, Curtis Martin, mm-hmm. his, his wife. Um, like uh-huh. so uh, yeah. so i knew a few Michael. and originally in the old testament michael was a female name before it was a male name because it was the name of david's first wife Ooh, interesting before the archangel michael made his debut interesting so uh yeah i mean that was sort of a controversial decision to name burnham michael burnham people were all kind of yeah. weirded out by it but it's not a big it's deal it's fine it's yeah. fine i like it it's a nice character distinctive i think so uh, so we have now, so we a have... boy named Sue. That's different. <laughs> oh man, I would love to have uh, Johnny Cash uh, in this. <laughs> I love that song. So um, they they have uh, a, the, a black alert. The the computer calls for uh, black alert, not red alert or yellow alert, but black alert. And then it's followed by these atmospheric effects that we never see again on yeah. the series. Uh, this like water droplets that form in the air and then fall on the surface and disappear. So some weird thing. But we never yeah. see that ever again. I we could headcanon that as they're still working out the kinks in this system. They're not. It's the the spore drive, which is where this is heading, is nowhere right. near as powerful as it will be. In fact, that's one of the things that when we meet Stamets, he's talking to his colleague on the Glen. Yeah, and the Glen guy is claiming we've got all this progress you guys haven't seen yet. Right, right. Yeah, there's the the discovery still jumping for you know a couple dozen kilometers at a time. Yeah, while the baby Glenn, steps. Yeah, the Glen's jumping into the Beta Quadrant. So before we get to that, Burnham does have that moment with Saru. Saru comes to collect her for her first day of work and um, gives her blueberries. He gives her they walk down the hall eating blueberries. Um, and Burnham wants to say she's sorry, but can't manage to get the words out. Um, and then he says to her, he says he believes that she's remorseful. But he thinks, still thinks she's dangerous and that mm-hmm. she shouldn't be out of prison, which I think is this very interesting character moment between Saru and Michael. I mean, Michael, at, I mean, Saru at yeah. this point is still has his fear gangly. I still, um, uh, you know, uh, he's still a, um, what is his, then he was, but he's uh, Kelpian. Kelpian, right. He, he's still a fearful Kelpian who senses danger everywhere, that sort of thing. And he senses it with, with Michael and this is a this is he says to her you're dangerous I mean she's hurt him badly professionally and personally I like what you know even though he's a Kelpian he's like really humaning it up here um and it's like I'm gonna do what you didn't and I'm gonna protect my captain and it's like ooh, what a burn (laughs) that was that was kind of a burn this is Dom Bettinelli CEO of the Star Quest Production Network with a special message 
StarQuest needs your help. Over the past year, we've grown by leaps and bounds. Every month, we produce dozens of shows covering numerous topics and all explore the intersection of faith and pop culture, which is the core of our mission. Some are among the most popular shows SQPN has ever produced in all its 13-year history. We're fulfilling our mission of evangelization in a whole new way, but that success is in danger. We must reach the financial break-even point if we're going to continue. Creating a dozen shows has caused our expenses to go up. We currently aren't making ends meet, and we're rapidly eating through our reserves. Soon they'll be gone, and we'll have to cut back many of our shows. We might even have to shut down altogether. That's why it's crucial we hear from you right now. Please visit sqpn.com slash give today and click the become a patron button to make your monthly pledge or to give a one-time gift click the donate button the need is urgent so please go to sqpn.com slash give today thank you from all of us at starquest and god bless you may we hear from you today so uh, burnham shows up in engineering they call it a special engineering space which i thought was interesting because i always looked at this when mm-hmm. they talk about it as the engine room, I think like, this does not look like the engine room of a huge starship, but it's actually yeah. a special engineering space. It's not the main engine room. Uh, yeah, and, and th- th- I had always kind of assumed through the first season that this is the engine room and Stamets is the main engineer, and he's not. No, right. He's, he's this special research guy they brought on the ship and given him a special little place. We've never seen the main engineer or the main engineering room. Right. And, and it's, so it's, it's interesting that I, I picked it up on this time through, picked up that, the, the difference, but I, which I didn't pick up the first time. So first impressions don't go well with Stamets. Uh, <laughs> he he mm-hmm. comes across kind of as a jerk a little bit. Yeah, this is, this is Stamets 1.0 before he gets like, you know, tripped out on, on <laughs> mushroom spores. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, this is the, the Stamets we all got to know and love in the first season. And, uh, they, there's a special room that you can only go into with a breath scan. Yeah, uh, breath prints. And I'm going, ooh, what a lame idea for reasons we then go on to see in this episode. It's, it's not as secure. Is this more secure re- than retina scans or even yeah, fingerprints? Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Burnham circumvents that pretty easily later on. Uh, we talk about Stamets' friend Strahl, who's working on a sport drive on the Glen. Now, this, this is actually r- good writing here. I like the mm-hmm. idea that they've taken this new potential <clears throat> drive that they've developed and they've split it up between two ships just in case. Right. They've split up the researchers. So if something happens to one, which spoilers a little bit, it does, uh, then yeah. we still have the other one to work on. I like that. that that's good writing. And, and this is actually the way uh, research projects get done for the military. They do not put all their eggs in one basket. In fact, they will have, uh, you know, the military will have, and the CIA will have research projects competing against each other to do the same thing. Yes. And then they end up picking whichever one does it better. Right. Uh, And so, uh, and apparently uh, Strahl and the Glenn are doing it better. They're taking, they're doing something new that he doesn't reveal to Stamets. Tilly tells Burnham that She's the best theoretical engineer on the ship as a cadet, and that's why she's been taken out of uh, the academy early. And right. given Discovery status, that would make her the probably the best theoretical engineer in Starfleet, which is interesting. Yeah, it's so it's implausible that she... Uh, there are several implausibilities here. Um, one is she's the best engineer, and she's this age. Right. Um, it's like, okay, the best engineer of whatever subclass is going to be 
someone with decades of experience, maybe not even a human being. Right. And um, Wesley Crusher so syndrome. Yeah, so it's we it's not plausible. It is nice though to see they're addressing the question of why is she a cadet on this ship, right? And on this research ship, and why is uh, she a cadet so involved in these crucial tasks? So the fundamental premise is implausible, but if you grant the fundamental premise then it explains why she's here and why she's so involved in this high-level stuff. Right. And in time of war, especially if you have losses among the officer corps, it's yeah. not implausible that they would take cadets who would be seniors, you, you know, take them a year early or whatever and put them into into service. That's yeah. not implausible either. But yeah, the, the whole idea of being the best theoretical engineer. So Maybe they, we got a little teenage braggadocio there. <laughs> yes. Well, we're... Apparently, we are assigned consoles or not, <laughs> which yes, <Yeah>. this uh, <laughs> little thing where she's like, oh, the, she says to Michael, you can't use that console. It's, assi it's assigned. We have assigned seating. Yeah. And then Stan <laughs> was like, just use that console over there. Just, we don't have assigned seating here or anything. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was fun. Ooh. Yeah. Uncomfortable. So uh, we get a message that something has happened to the Glen, some, uh, something horrible. Uh, and so they send a shuttle to go to it. I don't understand why they don't just take the discovery to it. Like they send a shuttle out and uh, although maybe now that I think about it, maybe it's because we're not sure what happened to it and we don't want to uh, put all our eggs in the same basket. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you may want to keep the research ship at a distance so that if there's a problem. Right. Also, Lorca conspicuously is pushing Burnham ahead here. He's like, yeah. you're going on this mission. Right. And she's just arrived on the ship. as And is a an infamous prisoner mutineer, uh, which yeah. is interesting. Um, so Stam Stamets does not, of course, want to take her. And so it makes it really obvious Lorca is really taking an extraordinary interest in Burnham here. Right. And that does support what we will later learn, that he he's there is more to right. to his relationship with her than than what she is aware of. And and she's right to be suspicious right. of what's going on. He is engineering. He's maneuvering her into place. Yes. Uh, it's interesting they send... Stamets, who now, now that his friend is dead, is now the only guy who knows about the spore drive. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a mistake. Yeah. Uh, they should, he should not be over on that ship. Right. Also, we get uh, a nice little bit with him where he's mad. Of course, this is Stamets 1.0. He's mad at everyone. Right. Um, but he's mad at Lorca, who he views as a warmonger. Right. And he uses that phrase. So he, he's conspicuously he's like i don't want to be here i want to be a researcher in a lab somewhere and i've been impressed into service and i have to do what this warmonger Lorca wants yep uh and Lorca kind of puts him in his place like reminds him i'm the captain <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you are in starfleet and uh, you are going over to that twisted body farm over there <laughs> yes we can jump into that uh so on their way there stamets and burnham have a conversation and burnham's trying to figure out what she she broke into the special lab and discovered it. It's a it's a mushroom farm, a yep, spore big farm. Hydro, big glowy hydroponic garden. Yes, uh, and um, she asks about what what does this have to do with spores or you know uh, uh, mushrooms? And damn it, kind of responds with you know physics and biology are the same thing. They're not two different things. So like Michael's trying to say they're, trying, they're different things. Says so at the quantum level they're the same thing. Uh, then he mentioned spores and panspermia as the building blocks of energy across the universe. And I, frankly, I couldn't follow all of it. 
But Stamets explains that he and his friend Strahl were lab researchers. The war started, and then Starfleet split them to head two different teams to to create the spore drive and to co-op their research for war purposes. How we put so uh, so that's we, this is our like little download of basic information about the spore drive for the yeah. for the viewer. Uh, so then, uh, it's they, also the moment at which the Star Trek fandom encounters its own equivalent of midichlorians, <laughs> right? This, because this is the 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 first season where all the Star Trek fans go, well, if they have this spore drive, where is it in the time of Kirk? Uh, and that, yeah, that, and that's now been addressed, yes. basically. Uh, yep. Uh, so then, on the once they get on the Glen, and they've got the the security chief and a another a red shirt with them. Uh, don't don't get to know him too well. Don't bother learning his name <laughs> because he's a red shirt. They find uh, a bunch of bodies that have been basically turned into pretzels. Uh, every, yeah. Everybody's been twisted up. Uh, pretty gruesome, I have to say. We we saw something kind of like this. I think it was in the Enterprise episode, The Expanse, where like a ship of Vulcans got all twisted up or something. Mm, yeah, but that sounds vaguely familiar. Mm. Yeah, it's really creepy. It was at the, the beginning of the Zindi arc. Okay, okay. Uh so, but they also find a bunch of dead Klingons who they yeah. who are not all twisted up. So, therefore, they conclude they came on after the accident. Right, uh, and it, there's a single living Klingon red shirt who shushes them, <laughs> and then which is awesome is immediately killed by the giant. Uh, well, we find Monster. out it's a giant tardigrade eventually, you know, very quickly. Yep. Um, that which starts chasing them, and they chase them into the engineering space where they find. Uh, the the their equivalent of the drive, uh, although it has this new device on it, which they they take. Um, it's trying to get through the door. It's, it can claw through the bulkhead, this tardigrade mm-hmm. uh, thingy, and uh, they're trying to escape. And we sh- we should explain for people who haven't seen this yet what yep. a tardigrade is, because I, I mean I knew what they were going into the series. I went, yay, it's a tardigrade, right? Um, tardigrades are yeah, yeah. In reality. Uh, tardigrades are a microscopic animal. They're also called water bears, and they're incredibly tough. Uh, you can like dry them out and then rehydrate them, and they just keep going. Yes. Um, they're incredibly tough. They can survive in uh, very harsh conditions, and they're really cute and have a kind of weird snout. Yeah. And this is giant. This is like that, only it's giant and flies through dimensions. <laughs> and it's literally the size of a bear <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Uh, so they, the big so bear Burnham decides to, uh, save the others by getting the, the thing to chase her through the Jeffries tubes. And this thing was like super fast, like before, like it was faster than you could see it. And then suddenly when it's chasing Burnham, it's really slow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's also reciting Alice in Wonderland to herself. I'm going, okay, I know that was an important book from your childhood, but <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's a Vulcan calming technique you were taught or anything. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's just weird. And of course, the, the that book will become even more important in the second season, uh, the Alice in Wonderland. But the, there's a bit of a through the looking glass moment here, I guess. Uh, so, um, and what she's doing is she's letting the others get back to the shuttle by distracting the tardigrade, right, and making it chase her through the Jeffries tubes. Which it barely fits in, so it it I guess it's slower. I could slow it down, yeah. yeah. And then so she's making her way to the shuttle bay, where she will drop through uh, and into the um, shuttle through a hatch in the shuttle, uh, yeah. and then they'll escape out, out the door, which is a quite little a, convenient. Yes, it's very convenient that 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 hatch was right under that hole which she dropped through. Um, so <clears throat> back on the discovery, 
uh, Lorca. Oh, by the way, the, that red shirt. Yeah, he got killed. <laughs> yeah. <Darn great. laughs> yeah. But back on the discovery, yeah. Burnham is like, Lorca, dude, you so brought me here and you are so testing me. Right. And so he, he wants her to become a part of the crew. He wants to make her part of the discovery crew and keep, stay with them. Um, and she she assumes that he brought her there to help make she doesn't know what the spore drive is yet, but she assumes right. that it's a some sort of uh biological weapon. weapon. Yeah. That yeah. would be in violation of the Geneva Accords Treaty of, of something. The yeah, the Geneva Protocols of nineteen twenty eight and twenty one fifty five. I mean, I remember hearing about the Geneva Accords, you know, in World War Two movies and that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, for treatment of prisoners and war crimes and that sort of stuff. So apparently it was updated in twenty one fifty five for space. And mm-hmm. uh she she assumes that it's a, a weapon. He's like, no, it's a drive. It will take yeah. us anywhere we want in an instant to any place in the galaxy. To we could drop it on the Klingons wherever. Um, he yeah. says, I, I I like when he explains it to her. It's like this isn't. We're not building a new weapon. We're building a new way to fly. Right, right. It, that that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Um, he tells her that Starfleet gave him discretion to fight the war as he sees fit, which is an interesting dis- amount of discretion to give anyone. Uh, but, uh, well, he's on his research project thingy. Yeah. Yeah. He's not on the main, he's not on the front lines. They're still hammering the bugs out of this system. But he's, but it means that he can take this, uh, the Starfleet's first mutineer out of life imprisonment and use her for his purposes. But he plays on her Starfleet training, her desire to explore. Uh, and then he puts her, he, he takes her to the spore chamber in the engineering and does something that makes it seem like she's traveling to is is she actually traveling to all these different places uh one I, after another or is it just some kind of image i don't know what's going on there it's kind of holodecky maybe he's maybe yeah. this is like a proof of concept video they did or something <laughs> right it's very weird and again we never see anything like it again as far as i can remember maybe we do um yeah. he says that he chose her specifically because of her actions at the binary stars shows her ability to predict accurately. She predicted what the Klingons were going to do and her willingness to do the right thing at great personal cost, uh, which was, mm-hmm. he says that she was going to do the right thing in, in her mutiny. And then he has, so he basically admits getting her on this ship. I mean, well, I guess maybe he could say, I, I didn't admit that it was chance that brought you to the ship. And then I picked you based on your actions. Right. But the implication seems to be, especially given what we know about him later, he engineered that whole thing, including the death of the shuttle pilot. Yeah, that seems very sinister. So, and then he says, has this line. He says, universal law is for lackeys. Laws. I'm sorry. Universal laws is for lackeys. Context is for kings, which is the idea that leaders need to be willing to break the rules at the right yeah. moment for the right reason, which is right. morally suspect. It, it so, I uh, yeah, it can be understood in a Machiavellian way that is thoroughly amoral, but I don't think he means it that way. I think he means it, um, like okay, yeah, lackeys need to do what they're told, and so there is a sense in which because they don't have the big picture, they need to follow orders in a more rigid way, right? But context is for kings and so kings because they do have the big picture they have the context um that doesn't mean they can do whatever they want 
that would be the Machiavellian amoral right. interpretation. Okay, but they they see um, they see a more complex playing field that they need to interact with because they have the responsibility for ultimate decision making. So they don't need to just follow rules in the absolute much of the time. Although from a moral perspective, there in order to fight a just war, there are limits. Yeah, but moral limits is different than following orders, which is what Burnham's big fault was. She didn't follow orders. She did the moral thing. Right. She tried to tried to do the Vulcan hello to avoid a war with the Klingons. She tried to get Takuvma captured so he couldn't be used as a martyr. Right. And she was doing the right things, but she broke rules and ended up leading to a horrible situation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense then. Uh, then we have uh, a, a, another scene where uh, we see the the prison shuttle taking off with the prisoners, the other prisoners on board. Um, we see Saru is in the Discovery's mess hall as it does, uh, but then his threat ganglia trigger as he watches it go to warp, uh, presumably because he senses that that Burnham Burnham's is not on, on board. board. Yeah, yeah, that she's on Discovery, not on board that shuttle. And uh, Burnham then now is now back in her quarters with Tilly, the one she now shares with Tilly, and they have a discussion about how Tilly wants to emulate her. Tilly wants to be a captain someday, and therefore wants to emulate Michael, who was one of the best officers in Starfleet before her mutiny. And uh, then we have this. And, and um, also, this is another, okay, if you're, now, maybe when Tilly said she's the best enge theoretical engineer, she just meant on the Discovery, not in right. the world. Yeah. Um, but even so, if you're this genius theoretical engineer, they're going to put you on the engineering track. They're not going to put you on the captain track. <laughs> right, right. Well, in fact, that we get that in the ne in next season where she transfers to the command track uh, and she she's trying to do all the command training. So there's yeah, a little bit of that. But they're, they're not going to let you. If you're some genius engineer, you're going to be an engineer. <laughs> right. They're not going to waste you on being a captain. Right, right. Uh so then uh, as as uh, Burnham's unpacking, she pulls out her actual physical book copy of Alice in Wonderland, and they have a discussion about um, the fact that Alice in Wonderland was read to her by Amanda and uh, that the, it taught her that the world isn't always logical. And then we have this scene at the end with Lorca and the, the security chief Landry in a science lab, a little science lab, where... Uh, they they destroy the Glen. They they shoot it and explode it because they apparently they can't let it fall into Klingon hands. So they have to destroy it rather than save it and reuse it as a ship during a war. I guess. All right. And uh, then she then Landry says that she followed his orders and beamed aboard the Tardigrade, which is now behind a force field uh, in the lab. He, he goes over to the uh, the entrance to the. This little room where the force field is, and calls out "Here, kitty, kitty!" and it comes rushing at the at the force field and slams into it. Yeah, so very, very sinister, and that's where the episode ends. So, any, the end. Any other notes, Jimmy, on this? Nope, that was it. All right, so uh, that was context is for kings. Uh, Star Trek Discovery. We'll be we'll continue to go through that first season of Discovery until we we finish out all the episodes, and then when a new season of Discovery starts which will probably occur before we get through this first season, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. 
Because um, we're going through all the different Star Trek series sequentially. Yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll end up having, you know, we'll end up having to come back to this season probably between the second and third season. That's just the way it is. So, um, But I'm looking forward to talking about the Discovery season three when that happens. Uh, all right. So we'll, but for now, um, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including James S., Jonathan H., Ramon S., Ryan Z., and Jack B., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you think of Context is for Kings uh, in our discussion of it? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page and leave us some feedback. Uh, You can also send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the original series episode, The Enemy Within. And hopefully by that point, uh, Father Corey will have been uh, transferred back off the prison shuttle and will be back here with us. Yes, uh, but hopefully it's not the Mirror Universe version. Yeah. (laughs) Father Corey. Father Corey. (laughs) Uh, Or or, no, Enemy Within is where you're split into the good and evil halves. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. So maybe hopefully it'll be the the good Father Corey. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom. Live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, my Uncle Everett plays in a Beatles cover band. It hardly makes him John Lennon. 